Chapter 13 of The Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Terror by Arthur Mackin. Chapter 13 The Last Words of Mr. Secretan. I slept ill that night. I awoke again and again from uneasy m dreams and i seemed in my sleep to hear strange calls and noises and a sound of murmurs and beatings on the door there were deep hollow voices too that echoed in my sleep and when i woke i could hear the autumn wind mournful on the hills above us i started up once with a dreadful scream in my ears but then the house was all still and i fell again into uneasy sleep it was soon after dawn when I finally roused myself. The people in the house were talking to each other in high voices, arguing about something that I did not understand. "'It is those damned gypsies, I tell you,' said old Griffith. "'What would they do a thing like that for?' asked Mrs. Griffith. "'If it was stealing now—' "'It is more likely that John Jenkins has done it out of spite,' said the son." He said that he would remember you when we did catch him poaching. They seemed puzzled and angry, so far as I could make out, but not at all frightened. I got up and began to dress. I don't think I looked out of the window. The glass on my dressing-table is high and broad, and the window is small. One would have to poke one's head around the glass to see anything. The voices were still arguing downstairs. I heard the old man say, well, here's for a beginning anyhow, and then the door slammed. A minute later the old man shouted, I think, to his son. Then there was a great noise, which I will not describe more particularly, and a dreadful screaming, and crying inside the house, and a sound of rushing feet. They all cried out at once to each other. I heard the daughter crying, it is no good, mother, he is dead. Indeed, they have killed him. And Mrs. Griffith screaming to the girl to let her go. And then one of them rushed out of the kitchen and shot the great bolts of oak across the door, just as something beat against it with a thundering crash. I ran downstairs. I found them all in wild confusion, in an agony of grief and horror and amazement. They were like people who had seen something so awful that they had gone mad. I went to the window, looking out on the farmyard. I won't tell you all that I saw, but I saw poor old Griffith lying by the pond with the blood pouring out of his side. I wanted to go out to him and bring him in, but they told me that he must be stone dead, and such things also that it was quite plain that anyone who went out of the house would not live more than a moment. We could not believe it, even as we gazed at the body of the dead man, but it was there. I used to wonder sometimes what one would feel like if one saw an apple drop from the tree and shoot up into the air and disappear. I think I know now how one would feel. Even then, we couldn't believe that it would last. We were not seriously afraid for ourselves. We spoke of getting out in an hour or two, before dinner anyhow. It couldn't last, because it was impossible. 
Indeed, at twelve o'clock, young Griffith said he would go down to the well by the back way and draw another pail of water. I went to the door and stood by it. He had not gone a dozen yards before they were on him. He ran for his life, and we had all we could do to bar the door in time. And then I began to get frightened. Still, we could not believe in it. Somebody would come along shouting in an hour or two, and it would all melt away and vanish. There could not be any real danger. There was plenty of bacon in the house, and half the weekly baking of loaves, and some beer in the cellar, and a pound or two of tea, and a whole pitcher of water that had been drawn from the well the night before. We could do all right for the day, and in the morning it would have all gone away. But day followed day, and it was still there. I knew Treff Loyne was a lonely place. That was why I had gone there, to have a long rest from all the jangle and rattle and turmoil of London that makes a man alive and kills him too. I went to Treff Loyne because it was buried in the narrow valley under the ash-trees, far away from any track. There was not so much as a footpath that was near it. No one ever came that way. Young Griffith had told me that it was a mile and a half to the nearest house, and the thought of the silent peace and retirement of the farm used to be a delight to me. And now this thought came back without delight, with terror. Griffith thought that a shout might be heard on a still night up away on the alt, if a man was listening for it, he added doubtfully. My voice was clearer and stronger than his, and on the second night I said I would go up to my bedroom and call for help through the open window. I waited till it was all dark and still, and looked out through the window before opening it, and then I saw over the ridge of the long barn across the yard what looked like a tree, though I knew there was no tree there. It was a dark mass against the sky, with wide-spread boughs, a tree of thick, dense growth. I wondered what this could be, and I threw open the window, not only because I was going to call for help, but because I wanted to see more clearly what the dark growth over the barn really was. I saw in the depth of the dark of it points of fire and colors in light, all glowing and moving, and the air trembled. I stared out into the night, and the dark tree lifted over the roof of the barn and rose up in the air and floated towards me. I did not move till at the last moment when it was close to the house, and then I saw what it was and banged the window down only just in time. I had to fight, and I saw the tree that was like a burning cloud rise up in the night and sink again and settle over the barn. I told them downstairs of this, they sat with white faces. And Mrs. Griffith said that ancient devils were let loose and had come out of the trees and out of the old hills because of the wickedness that was on the earth. She began to murmur something to herself, something that sounded to me like broken-down Latin. I went up to my room again an hour later, but the dark tree swelled over the barn. Another day went by, and at dusk I looked out, but the eyes of the fire were watching me. I dared not open the window. And then I thought of another plan. 
there was the great old fireplace with the round flemish chimney going high above the house if i stood beneath it and shouted i thought perhaps the sound might be carried better than if i called out of the window for all i know the round chimney might act as a sort of megaphone night after night then i stood in the hearth and called for help from nine o'clock to eleven i thought of the lonely place deep in the valley of the ash-trees of the lonely hills and lands about it i thought of the little cottages far away and hoped that my voice might reach to those within them i thought of the winding lane high on the alt and of the few men that came there of nights but i hoped that my cry might come to one of them but we had drunk up the beer and we would only let ourselves have water by little drops and on the fourth night my throat was dry and i began to feel strange and weak i knew that all the voice i had in my lungs would hardly reach the length of the field by the farm it was then we began to dream of wells and fountains and water coming very cold in little drops out of rocky places in the middle of a cool wood we had given up all meals now and then one would cut a lump from the sides of bacon on the kitchen wall and chew a bit of it but the saltiness was like fire there was a great shower of rain one night the girl said we might open a window and hold out bowls and basins and catch the rain i spoke of the cloud with burning eyes she said we will go to the window in the dairy at the back and one of us can get some water at all events she stood up with her basin on the stone slab in the dairy and looked out and heard the splashing of the rain falling very fast and she unfastened the catch of the window and had just opened it gently with one hand for about an inch and had her basin in the other hand and then said she there was something that began to tremble and shudder and shake as it did when we went to the choral festival at st tiello's and the organ played and there was the cloud and the burning close before me and then we began to dream as i say i woke up in my sitting-room one hot afternoon when the sun was shining and i had been looking and searching in my dream all through the house and i had gone down to the old cellar that wasn't used the cellar with the pillars and the vaulted room with an iron pike in my hand something said to me that there was water there and in my dream i went to a heavy stone by the middle pillar and raised it up and there beneath was a bubbling well of cold clear water and i had just hollowed my hand to drink it when i woke i went into the kitchen and told young griffith i said i was sure there was water there he shook his head but he took up the great kitchen poker and we went down to the old cellar i showed him the stone by the pillar and he raised it up but there was no well do you know i reminded myself of many people whom i have met in life i would not be convinced i was sure that after all there was a well there they had a butcher's cleaver in the kitchen and i took it down to the old cellar and hacked at the ground with it the others didn't interfere with me we were getting past that we hardly ever spoke to one another each one would be wandering about the house upstairs and downstairs each one of us i suppose bent on his own foolish plan and mad design but we hardly ever spoke 
Years ago I was an actor for a bit, and I remember how it was on first nights, the actors treading softly up and down the wings, by their entrance, their lips moving and muttering over the words of their parts, but without a word for one another. So it was with us. I came upon young Griffith one evening, evidently trying to make a subterranean passage under one of the walls of the house. I knew he was mad, as he knew I was mad when he saw me digging for a well in the cellar. But neither said anything to the other. Now we are past all this. We are too weak. We dream when we are awake, and when we dream we think we wake. Night and day come and go, and we mistake one for another. I hear Griffith murmuring to himself about the stars when the sun is high at noonday, and at midnight I have found myself thinking that I walked in bright sunlit meadows beside cold rushing streams that flowed from high rocks. Then at the dawn figures in black robes carrying lighted tapers in their hands pass slowly about and about and I hear great rolling organ music that sounds as if some tremendous rite were to begin, and voices crying in an ancient song shrill from the depths of the earth. Only a little while ago I heard a voice which sounded as if it were at my very ears, but rang and echoed and resounded as if it were rolling and reverberated from the vault of some cathedral, chanting in terrible modulations. I heard the words quite clearly. Incipit liber ire domini de nostri. Here beginneth the book of the wrath of the Lord our God. And then the voice sang the word, Aleph, prolonging it, it seemed through ages, and a light was extinguished as it began the chapter. In that day, saith the Lord, there shall be a cloud over the land, and in the cloud a burning, and a shape of fire and out of the cloud shall issue forth my messengers. They shall run all together, they shall not turn aside. This shall be a day of exceeding bitterness, without salvation. And on every high hill, saith the Lord of hosts, I will set my sentinels, and my armies shall encamp in the place of every valley. In the house that is amongst rushes I will execute judgment, and in vain shall they fly for refuge, to the munitions of the rocks, in the groves of the trees, in the places where the leaves are as a tent above them, they shall find the sword of the slayer, and they that put their trust in walled cities shall be confounded. Woe unto the armed man! Woe unto him that taketh pleasure in the strength of his artillery! For a little thing shall smite him, and by one that hath no might shall he be brought down into the dust. That which is low shall be set on high. I will make the lamb and the young sheep to be as the lion from the swellings of Jordan. They shall not spare, saith the Lord, and the doves shall be as eagles on the hill and getty. None shall be found that may abide the onset of their battle. Even now I can hear the voice rolling far away, as if it came from the altar of a great church and I stood at the door. There are lights very far away in the hollow of a vast darkness, and one by one they are put out. I hear a voice chanting again with that endless modulation that climbs and aspires to the stars and shines there, 
and rushes down to the dark depths of the earth again to ascend the word is zane here the manuscript lapsed again and finally into utter lamentable confusion there were scrawled lines wavering across the page on which secretan seemed to have been trying to note the unearthly music that swelled in his dying ears as the scrapes and scratches of ink showed he had tried hard to begin a new sentence the pen had dropped at last out of his hand upon the paper leaving a blot and a smear upon it lewis heard the tramp of feet along the passage they were carrying out the dead to the cart End of chapter thirteen